Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to bring you through these hard times, data with the only wrestling podcast that can lead a horse to water and make him drink. We are back today with the Wednesday Night Wars edition of Getting Over, and what a war it has become. NXT has won back-to-back weeks over AEW in the ratings, even if you don't necessarily care about ratings at this time, that is still nevertheless notable but more notable to me has been the show quality as nxt has really stepped up over the last few weeks and once again did the same on wednesday night but before we get into what went down on wednesday shows a reminder to follow us on twitter at getting overcast drop those five star ratings and reviews on apple podcasts and please share this show with at least one of your wrestling friends word of mouth is the best way we can grow now The Silver King will be running solo today, mostly for expediency as there's a lot going on in the world, not just obviously the pandemic that's happening, but the NFL draft starts tonight and I am a massive Miami Dolphins fan, or at least I have been for most of my life. We will see if I feel the same way after tonight. My point is that I need to put all of the energy that I have into swaying the universe to make sure Miami drafts to Otunga Vailoa or else I may lose my mind. Hey, by the time you listen to this, my mind may already be gone. So with that, let's move into the show. And you know we start with the main event. And for the main event today, I do want to discuss what has happened with NXT and AEW over the last couple weeks. What I've seen from NXT is they have really stepped up their game with new superstars and engaging storylines. Things did get stagnant in NXT with Adam Cole as champion, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, both feuding with Cole and feuding with each other. On the women's side, Shayna Baszler, um, you know, despite me liking her as a wrestler, was pretty boring as champion, and she was champion for an extended period of time. Then you had Bianca Belair, who probably should have been ascending into that role six months ago, but never actually got the opportunity. Instead, they went with Rhea Ripley, and Rhea was doing great, but, but... you always felt like there was a transition that was missed, similar to how Asuka held on to the title for a really long period of time, and it took NXT a little bit to really prop up some women to replace her by the time her reign ended. Uh, but nevertheless, things had gotten stagnant. Now what we're seeing is new superstars starting to take the forefront. Obviously, Velveteen Dream has enhanced his profile. You're seeing a lot more from Keith Lee, and Damian Priest. El Hio de Fantasma certainly um, has just gotten onto the scene. He debuted on Wednesday in terms of a match. Timothy Thatcher is now officially there. You have Karrion Cross, who has yet to really say anything or on, on screen or have a match, but he's been injected into the picture. And of course, Dexter Loomis and more on him coming up. What WWE's been doing with NXT recently, they've been advertising quality, unique matches, and they've been delivering on that advertising. Um, now, you can make the argument, and I have, that WWE does not promote NXT enough, which maybe tells you a little bit of how they actually see this quote-unquote war with AEW. Maybe it's not as important to WWE in beating them handily and taking them completely out of business than it is just limiting their effectiveness and limiting the scope that AEW is ultimately able to achieve because they really should be promoting NXT a lot more during Raw they should have featured matches and segments, and, and they should even have NXT people go on there and actually beat WWE superstars to prove they are truly 
uh, equal third brand, but you're not really seeing much of that happening, regardless of Charlotte Flair being the NXT Women's Champion right now. Uh, but in addition to the matches, um, which have been unique, and like I said, they've been delivering on, they're, they're getting smart. This NXT Round Robin, which we'll talk about in a little bit for the Interim Cruiserweight Championship, it's, it's genius booking. And they've also gone so far as to have some really unique segments away from the ring um, and providing two-hour shows that really don't feel like there's ever a down moment. You may not necessarily love Mia Yim in a squash match, but there was a reason why that segment happened, because they could bring Charlotte in. So I see a lot less downtime when I'm watching NXT now than I did, you know, maybe a month or so ago. And I kind of feel at the same time the opposite has happened with AEW, which to me has become stagnant, much in the way that NXT was about a month ago. Now, this is a little bit out of their control because they are in a location and they're locked down. Uh, they only have so many superstars available to them on the East Coast of the United States and I guess in the Georgia area where they taped, I think, four or five weeks of TV in advance. A lot of their uh, you know wrestlers and performers are on the West Coast and specifically in California, which is why if you watch Being the Elite, you're seeing a lot of them on that show. But personally, the Being the Elite episodes have not particularly been very good for me. Um, the NXT Championship build has been adequate. I feel like they forced some angles, and the shows have become repetitive with a lot of squash matches and enhancement talent. And it's not the worst thing in the world, but at least on WWE, as of now, when you're seeing the enhancement talent, they're NXT superstars. They're, they're people that you will see or have seen or will eventually see on TV. A lot of the people that AEW is putting on screen right now are just independent wrestlers who they're trying to help out. And there is nothing wrong with that. But as a viewer, it's not engaging for me to see Kenny Omega against nobody when this is maybe the best wrestler in the world and he should only be fighting people of serious caliber in AEW to enhance his profile. So when you look at the ratings, and like I said, NXT has beaten AEW in consecutive weeks, I think that the Gargano-Champa match gave NXT a little bit of a boost. Certainly, that was a big-time match, and whether it delivered to your liking or not, it was heavily promoted and, and, you know, very important for the company. So they beat them, you know, just by a little bit uh, two weeks ago. And then last week they came back with a decently sizable win, all things considered. Um, you know, the John Moxley-Jake Hager match, as I alluded to, did not draw the interest that AEW expected. Um, not much of a surprise to me. I did think AEW would, would win the rating ultimately, so that was a surprise. But I can't blame people for not being interested in a Jake Hager championship match, considering what NXT had going on opposite of it. Um, NXT, I think, has capitalized a little bit on the attention, and I do expect a third straight ratings win, but it's going to be too close to call, probably, so I'm not guaranteeing that by any means. And by the time you listen to the show, we're probably, probably already going to know who won the ratings, so uh, I may prove to be wrong very quickly after you listen to this or even before you listen to it. But nevertheless, uh, I think NXT does deserve credit for stepping up its game in a serious manner uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I do have really high hopes for these empty arena shows, what NXT is going to be able to provide to us, candidly, more so than I do AEW. Um, and I did think there were really good things that happened on AEW this week. We're going to get to all of that momentarily. But right now, um, my belief in NXT, which has always been a little bit stronger, uh, they've, they've always you know, been 60-40 for me over AEW, it's starting to increase further. Uh, you're seeing just a lot of really talented performers. The storytelling is making a lot of sense. It's intriguing booking. I care about watching each week. And AEW, you know, candidly, uh, tuning in last night, 
it kind of felt forced to me a little bit that I, I just know I need to watch AEW this week because A, I'm doing the podcast and B, I do care about their performers and their product. Um, but if I wasn't doing the podcast, I probably would have just watched it over lunch on Thursday or something like that. I didn't feel the immediacy to go and, and find AEW on my DVR and watch it last night. I would honestly would have preferred to watch the challenge. But again, that's just me. Uh, and I don't think that's a radical opinion. There's probably people that feel the same way that are AEW fans and didn't want to rush to watch NXT. Although, candidly, if you've been watching the product over the last three weeks or so, and you're actually watching both shows equally, I don't necessarily know that you can disagree that a, that NXT has had the better show. Uh, now, moving on, we are going to talk about the shows themselves on Wednesday night. And you folks know, I normally call this when I do it solo, the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. There's a chance we go 20 because a lot did happen on Wednesday night. But my point is, we're going to break down NXT, we're going to break down AEW, and we're going to do it in a rather expeditious manner coming up right now. And let's begin with NXT this week. As I said, I did think it was the better show. What I didn't love about NXT, let's start there. I was not totally fond of them spending an entire week advertising Finn Balor against Velveteen Dream in the main event and then not delivering it. Not just not delivering it in the main event, but telling us even before the show began that the match wasn't going to happen. Now, if there was a legit actual reason for that happening, someone got hurt, someone got sick, Something happened in a personal life. I'm totally cool with that. They ultimately did a good job with the main event, and it was entertaining. But I just don't appreciate being advertised something and getting hyped up for it for an entire week and then not actually seeing it if there's not a real-life reason. So, you know, I'll, I'll see what happened there and why they decided to make that move. But, I mean, Balor Dream, as you guys heard me say last week, uh, that's, that's a dream match almost for me. And I was definitely looking forward to it, so I was disappointed there. Nevertheless, in the opening segment, I thought there was incredible foreshadowing uh, with Dexter Loomis kind of looming there as uh, Velveteen Dream and Keith Lee battled with the Undisputed Era. And then moving into the main event, which was a tag team match between those two, Adam Cole and Roderick Strong, I loved that Keith Lee got attacked right off the jump. It got me more engaged in the main event than a normal tag team match would have because, candidly, I wasn't anticipating that match, and while I do love Dream and Keith Lee, I kind of knew that that team would win. So seeing Lee get taken out made me think, oh, maybe Dream is going to have to work harder for this eventual championship match. Instead, they have Dexter Loomis pop up out of nowhere on the ring apron as a replacement. That was a great call to feature him in the match, and they are absolutely nailing this character. Nick Z at nzannyboney93 wrote him, he said, Loomis is great. He's strange, but looks the part. I'm not familiar with his work in the indies. What does the ceiling look like? So I think it's an a extremely high ceiling. I mean, I've compared him on this show certainly to uh, Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious. And that is just how I see him. He's a large, menacing, psychotic looking type of guy who can be a main eventer, um, but also has serious threatening mid-card, upper mid-card, you know, potential as well. He's just someone who they are figuring out a way to give this person a completely unique look and gimmick. The Even the entrance music is unique. Just everything about him captivates me and makes me want to see what he's going to do next. And to be candid, the empty arena setting is really allowing that to shine through. Because if you have this guy coming out to the NXT universe and people are cheering for him and making a lot of noise, 
then the music doesn't hit the same way. The menacing look doesn't hit the same way. People are either booing him or cheering him, and maybe he feels like he has to react to that. Instead, he's able to just hyper-focus on what's happening. You see the eyes, you see the look, you hear the music, and you're like, I have not seen a guy like this in quite some time. Uh, So Dexter Loomis is a massive win to me so far. I'm excited that they've injected him immediately into a picture that includes main event talent in NXT, so you can see that he can compete with them. He doesn't have to just keep working his way up in some of these uh, smaller squash matches or against guys that are, are not really his size. Of course, granted, Undisputed Era, those guys are all smaller than him as well. Uh, but my point is, it just worked. Just because he tagged with Dream doesn't make him a face. Um, it just put him in the right place at the right time. And, you know, maybe we see like a Loomis-Roderick Strong match coming up, which could be a, a surprising um, really good bout. Now, I should mention, by the way, I don't know if this is coming through, but if you guys are listening to me, there is a bird sitting right outside my window. He's been chirping this entire time. If you're hearing it in the background, there's only so much I can do. Um, but I, I do hope that that's not coming through. Now, to end the match, you did have Velveteen Dream pin Adam Cole, uh, which does set up the expected championship match for the NXT Championship. Um, will they hold that soon? I don't know. Will they make a change in the title? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they put uh, Dream against Cole in what would be the go-home slot for AEW ahead of Double or Nothing. That would make sense to me to put a really strong main event ahead of their go-home show, head-to-head, I should say, with their go-home show. But that is a few weeks out, so I don't know if NXT has enough to kind of get us there. I'm interested to see what happens. I would probably err on Dream pinning Cole, taking the title, and Undisputed Era going to Raw or SmackDown. I think it makes a lot of sense for them to be on the move. They will work on the main roster. And as I've said many, many times, um, mostly on the prior show that I was on, but on this one as well, you give Undisputed Era one additional man, a bigger guy, maybe a Dijakovic, you put him on the main roster, and now you have a legitimate, talented, captivating stable. I think it'll work. Uh, The NXT Interim Cruiserweight Tournament is also a great idea, very much using the concept of best of super juniors in New Japan Pro Wrestling or the G1, which is a round-robin style. Now, there's only four people in each group, so there's not as many, certainly. Um, But it is working to their benefit because they are figuring out a way to feature a lot of talent, including some new talent, uh, on NXT. And the matches have been absolutely fantastic to this point. Now, the main takeaway from this so far, at least Wednesday night, is the Drake Maverick storyline. And I am of two minds about this. One, if this was always the plan, then it's kind of in poor taste for WWE to be running a fired release storyline at the same time that they actually released two dozen superstars. Now, if WWE saw Maverick's Twitter promo um, that he cut, and you can call it a promo or you can call it just an emotional message where he got choked up and, and you know cried a little bit about his losing his job and his career, and they said... Hey, you know what? That was really damn good. We didn't know he had that type of range. Let's keep him in this tournament. Let's give him his job back. And maybe let's have him win the entire thing. If that happened, I like it. But at the same time, they're still using the release of two dozen superstars to tell a story on screen for him. It's a little weird to me. I... I'm going to let see how it plays out. I'm going to see if he keeps his job. Hopefully, we eventually find out whether 
this was planned or whether it wasn't. If it was planned, it puts a bad taste in my mouth. If it wasn't, then I'm accepting of it because they're doing a good job and it is a good story that they're telling. And I thought they sold it very well on Wednesday night. In order for Maverick, though, to get to that championship, he's going to have to win his next two matches. That means beating Tony Nese and Kushida to get to the finals. Beating Nice, that shouldn't be much of a problem. Hopefully that happens either next week or the week following. But Maverick Kushida for an opportunity to get into the finals um, of that Cruiserweight tournament would be incredibly interesting. Kushida probably should be the tournament favorite, but Maverick does throw that wrench, as I mentioned. Now, Jake Atlas, really in his debut, was impressive. Top rope cartwheel DDT, freaking fantastic. I didn't necessarily love his post-match promo, but the social video that WWE published of him kind of consoling Maverick as they were walking into the parking lot was awesome. It was great work from Atlas. Um, and I suddenly have high hopes for this guy in WWE after not necessarily thinking he would be much of anything initially. You also saw Phantasma make a good debut. I was a little bit surprised on that block in the B block that Swerve lost lost to Zawa last week. Uh, as he really should be getting pushed to the moon with either Swerve or Phantasma winning Group B. But like I said, Phantasma's match was pretty solid. But the angle they cut afterward in the parking lot was really beautiful because a report emerged this past week that Phantasma will be leading that group of luchadors who's been abducting, you know, some of the other superstars. Um, and I think that they did this fake abduction as a swerve or a smokescreen to kind of not have people think that Phantasma would be in that position as the leader of that group. And ultimately he gets revealed as that. I also think that's why his look on screen was so basic. He was wearing a very traditional, simple luchador mask. Whereas if you watched his vignette that they showed two weeks ago, it was black and I think it had green and gold in it. And it was really cool and badass. I thought his mannerisms and his promos were also simple. Him just yelling, I am Mexican a bunch of times. Like we get that. I know you're better than that. So I think they were just trying to tone him down as much as they could so that him being the leader of this group ends up being a swerve and as a surprise. Had they debuted him with that look that he showed in the vignette a couple weeks ago, maybe you would have maybe you would have suspected it and maybe the attack or the attempted fake attack um, in the parking lot wouldn't have hit home as much. So that's kind of my take on it. But, you know, he's great in the ring. Um, I don't know about his English, whether he speaks uh, English fluently or at all. Um, certainly that is something that does hold some of these superstars back a little bit from huge success on the main roster, but, you know, we'll see uh, what they do with him going forward and what this potential stable or faction or group ends up being like uh, with the other luchadors and the abduction angle and, and so on and so forth. Uh, what really shined to me, though, on Wednesday night, in addition to the quality matches, was just some of the storytelling and character development this week. And that's aside from what's already been mentioned. The Gargano and Candice LeRae segment in their home at their dining table was fantastic. WWE should be doing this across all brands at all times, particularly now during the coronavirus pandemic. They have time to fill on shows. They need to develop characters, explain people's motivations. This was just so perfectly done from start to finish. It just kind of upset me that they don't do more of it. And it was so simple and so perfect. The Robert Stone brand gimmick is a bit iffy for me, but the segment on Wednesday did set up the Chelsea Green character 
better than anything they've done to this point. I think the influencer character for her is smart. It's modern and current. Um, I, I'm sure people are doing that out on the independents, but it's not really something anyone in WWE has done before. The Tyler Breeze thing is probably the closest, but this is more modern and smarter than that. And certainly her being a female, female influencers, you know, get a lot more, I guess, cred uh, than men do for obvious reasons. So it does work a lot with her. It's a good look for her. Um, it was a nice vignette. I do hope they do more of that and continue developing her character in NXT. And to finish up with NXT, I really loved how condescending Charlotte Flair was um, in that post-match segment with Mia Yim. It was really great. They do have that match coming up next week. I don't think it's for the NXT championship, though, which is strange because I thought that was the entire point of that Mia Yim would get the first opportunity at the title. Maybe she's just getting the first opportunity at Charlotte. But there was a report a couple weeks ago, I think it was from Dave Meltzer, that WWE views Flair as a face. Um, no way. I mean, A, it wasn't true at all. But after watching Wednesday night, there's no way she's the face in this view. That would not make any sense. All right, moving on to AEW. Um, let's start with the TNT Championship Tournament. While it does not have me bought all in, it doesn't, not to this point, I did think the first match on the show, Sammy Guevara against Darby Allen, was fantastic. They've now had two really great matches together. The latter spot was awesome. Um, the last supper, unique kind of pinfall finisher from Darby Allen was great. Allen winning, of course, is the right decision. And it was a good match, but it did feel a little bit long because they did have the, po the pre-match attack. It went multiple segments, and it was really good, but you just kept thinking it was going to end, and it never really did. And I know they wanted to take up some time at the start of the show. Maybe they could have cut, you know, three, four, five minutes off that and had it been a little bit more exciting. That said, and, and there were good things on AEW, and I'm going to talk about them right now, but in terms of matches, that's the only match I cared about on the entire show. It was the only match I thought was good on the entire show. So NXT, in that regard, clearly had an edge in terms of Match quality and importance. I didn't buy into the Dustin Rhodes retirement angle at all. It came out of nowhere. It felt out of place. You knew he wasn't going to lose, so that gave the finish of the match away. And that match never should have main evented the show. I get that they did because they gave it the stipulation. But that's bad decision making when you have Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen, and you can promote the entire show that these guys had a barn burner at Revolution. And we're going to give it to you again in the main event in a key quarterfinal match for the TNT Championship Tournament. You do not need to be having Dustin Rhodes, age whatever, 50, um, in the main event of your TV show win. And, and will he win the tournament? Maybe. Like, there's a chance we get another Cody-Dustin Rhodes match. But I don't think we should. Um, and I don't think he should be the first champion. I do think Cody should ultimately win it. So why are you putting him in that spot when you have these young guys that you really should be promoting that, again, put on a barn burner of a match earlier in the show. Similarly, the Cody promo to open the show, it felt flat for me, just being honest. Uh, I don't think everything needs to be so dramatic. It was almost eye-rolling uh, the way that that came across. And I know people are going to like it, and I know people like everything that AEW does, and I have plenty of praise for AEW coming up right now. But that just didn't work for me. And, like, where was that control center? It was, like, the middle of the warehouse. It was almost like JP's video game lab in Grandma's Boy, where there were just this big empty room and then a bunch of monitors and a chair sitting in the middle of it. 
and Cody's there for some reason with a monogrammed chair with his Nightmare logo. You know, it just, I don't know, wasn't for me, didn't work, and it was did not work as a cold open to a show either. Just, it was a fail. Uh, now, let's be positive about AEW, because like I said, a lot of good stuff happened on this show. It was easy to overlook this segment, but I thought the primer or explainer with Taz breaking down Kenny Omega's Snapdragon suplex was among the best things that AEW has done. Certainly, I'm not talking about storylines or matches, but extra content, right? AEW promised us a more sports-centric feel to their shows. The stupid win-loss records are not accomplishing that. In fact, many times it just confuses things where people get title shots despite not being the number one contender. And I know that in boxing, you can be like the number six ranked heavyweight and get a chance for the title. I get it. But in, this is still wrestling, right? So someone who gets a title shot should really be number one or number two on that list. And it's too often that these matches are happening where the rankings don't make sense. I think the rankings are inconsistent. Um, they started them in October, but then reset them in January because it's a new year. I just don't think they're accomplishing what they should be. But this segment was perfect. This segment accomplishes the sports-like feel that AEW promised us. And Taz, being the human suplex machine and being someone who is technically sound and gifted and has a good voice, by the way, is the right person to be doing this. They should be doing that segment on every single episode of Dynamite every week. But what they should do is do it ahead of matches that matter, not a squash like Omega beating some schlub. They should be doing it ahead of a Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara main event where it says, hey, Darby Allen beat Guevara last time. Here's the key move he used. Here's how he executed it. This is what Guevara needs to watch out for this week. That's the type of stuff that wrestling fans wanted when AEW promised that more sports-centric feel. I want the highlight packages. I want the move breakdowns. Just like you break down Patrick Mahomes' throwing motion, I want you to break down Kenny Omega's Snapdragon suplex. Just brilliant stuff, honestly. And if anyone in AEW listens to this, which I don't know if they do, more of that, please. Very, very good. Uh, the dual personalities promo with Matt Hardy was probably the best thing that he's done in AEW to date. I've been very critical of Matt and the character being basically the exact same as the old broken character. But credit where it's due here. It was smart and it was an entertaining promo. It was different. It showed that you have the multiple sides of Matt. Certainly, I don't necessarily think the other character was a character. It was more just regular Matt Hardy. But you do know that he can break into big money Matt Certainly in WWE, Matt Hardy version 1.0, 2.0, there are layers to this guy. And if all we're going to see is like Damascus or whatever the hell this new version of the Broken Brilliance is, then we've seen that for, you know, four or five years now. I'm kind of done with it. This was different and unique. Now, we did have Adam X Parsons at Adam X Parsons on Twitter write in. Do you see AEW giving Matt Hardy a split personality element to his broken character like they showed on Dynamite where he switches back and forth? If they're smart, I mean, that's it's as simple as that. If they're smart, yes. We need multiple versions of Matt Hardy. We need some progression of this character that was it used well in WWE. No, it wasn't. But was there a high ceiling for it? Maybe there wasn't. Maybe they only could have done like the ultimate deletion or whatever they did that match with Bray Wyatt. Maybe that was 
the apex and they could have stayed there for a while and done more storylines like that. Maybe they could have used the Lake of Reincarnation to change people's gimmicks and, and, and things along those lines. But I don't think Matt was ever going to be a WWE champion. I don't think this gimmick was going to take him into a prominent featured role on WWE television. So I don't necessarily know that WWE hurt itself by not utilizing the Broken Universe and Matt. But it certainly hurt Matt by not using it. So I am glad that he's getting an opportunity to use his creativity. Um, and I do think, yeah, Adam, I do think that giving him a split personality or just adding some layers to this broken universe and this character, it's much needed for it to be entertaining. Uh, moving on with AEW, the MJF promo from home, uh, him being injured and out of action with a hangnail, it was very good. He had been kind of grinding on me a little bit. I felt that his promos and segments had become very repetitive. This was fresh. It was well shot. Um, I just hope they continue along these lines. My guess is that he's not able to be there due to social distancing and wherever his house is located, wherever he lives. Um, so if he's not going to be on TV, doing these updates with him and a hangnail, a la Randy Orton, and I believe it was a shoulder injury back after he first debuted with WWE, it's a pretty smart way to keep him on television, get people hating him, um, and kind of develop his character even further as you wait for him to return to action. Uh, similarly, the Dark Order segment this week, I think it was probably the best thing that they've done since the recruitment vignettes. Definitely, it was Brody Lee's best work to date in AEW. I still didn't particularly like it. Um, it's not dr dragging me in where I care about what the Dark Order is going to do next, but it was definitely a step in the right direction after a couple weeks that were... Again, pretty eye-rolling, uh, the, the shots at Vince. Not that I care that they're taking shots at Vince, but I want them and Brody to be kind of his own person, and this was, I think, the closest that we've seen to that to this point. The Bubbly Bunch segment, it definitely made me laugh, but if they're going to keep doing it, I could see it starting to wear on me. So I do hope that maybe it fades out and they figure out something else that they can do. The stuff with Chris Jericho and Vanguard was great. I know they didn't want to overdo that. Good move stepping away from it. For a couple weeks, but maybe give me that a little bit. Maybe inject the Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara with the Broken Universe angle they're talking about, maybe having a match at the Hardy Compound. Let's move that forward. I will be excited if they go in that direction. Okay, that's it for the fastest however many minutes that was in pro wrestling. Let's move into getting overtime here. A couple quick topics, and then we're going to get into a very short discussion about the challenge this week, uh, obviously, a lot of you that are football fans saw that Rob Gronkowski got traded. He requested and got traded from the Patriots to the Bucks, and has now signed with the Bucks and will be catching passes from Tom Brady in 2020, assuming there's a 2020 season. And that begs the question, what happens with Gronk being 24-7 champion? Well, to me, him being champ was always going to be ho-hum. At first, when I saw the trade and I saw everything that happened, I just kind of thought they'd kill off the title. But now I'm actually interested in what's going to happen because WWE promoted it as telling Gronk, hey, uh, be aware because this can ha still happen at any time at practice, during a game, whatever the case. And you also had Gronk cut a video that was posted on the Bucks Twitter account. I believe it was from an interview with media members, um, you know, with his free agent signing or with his trade in signing. Uh, he cut a video talking about how now he has to watch his back at all times. He has to hire extra security. That, that it's easier to defend the title during the pandemic because people can't get close to him. But at the same time, he has to watch out for those who are close to him. 
So I thought Gronk did a really good job promoting that he's still 24-7 champion. And WWE is going to get some buzz out of this. I mean, if they start doing practices at some point and they have R-Truth run into a Bucks practice and pin Gronk, maybe Gronk gets tackled or hit really hard and then R-Truth takes off a referee uniform and pins him and takes the title back, all of a sudden that's a really good 24-7 segment. So it's kind of cool now. You know, I didn't like it initially, but now I'm kind of interested because I am an NFL fan. I don't particularly like Gronk, but, you know, WWE getting some involvement and, and push and buzz from the NFL, that can only be a good thing. Uh, also this week, coming up Friday, is Triple H's 25th anniversary show on SmackDown. I'm really curious to see what WWE does with this. If they just add, air a bunch of clips and don't have him do much, it's maybe a shrug. But if they do what they did with the first empty arena show and have Triple H sit in on commentary with Michael Cole, they have people honor him, they maybe have someone challenge him, he delivers a pedigree to someone like a Baron Corbin, it might get interesting. So I do, I do think that this show on Friday has a unique twist to it. Uh, also, if you watch The Bump, or even if you don't, because I don't, The Rock cut like a two-minute, 30-second message to Triple H ahead of his anniversary. It was really good. It was really sweet of him. So I would definitely seek that out. It is on Reddit, but I'm sure you can find it on Twitter or YouTube somewhere. But um, really cool message from The Rock to Triple H, kind of acknowledging that, hey, everyone always asks The Rock about Austin. They don't often ask him about Triple H and their rivalry. You know, maybe it wasn't as good. But it did rival rival the Austin rivalry. It was it was up there, and it was a huge thing that you know carried WWE through a large portion of time. So again, just really cool stuff from The Rock, and it's always good to hear The Rock talk about WWE. All right, moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about MTV's The Challenge before we get out of here. You guys really seemed to like that segment yesterday, so going to do it again. It is going to be quick this week because I didn't really have much to get worked up about on The Challenge Total Madness. This week, Ashley is one of my least favorite competitors of all time, maybe my least favorite of all time. So I was absolutely thrilled to see her go. They absolutely had no choice but to put her in elimination after the shit she pulled over the course of that show. I I don't know how anyone can stand her. I thought it was really strange that she gets into elimination and D is there to challenge her. And everyone is cheering for Ashley after they basically unanimously voted her into elimination. I still don't necessarily understand why that happened. They just hate D more? Uh, okay, what did D do to everyone? It, I don't know. That was really strange. People can be finicky in that way. And I also thought it was pretty weird that Wes was receiving criticism and people were booing him and trying to stop him for helping D when people do that all the time. Like, in, in many challenges when there's puzzles involved or, you know, eliminations, I mean, when people can't see the larger project they're working on, people from the gallery yell out and help them. So just because Wes was on a different side of the house in this regard, I don't think there was anything wrong with him helping her. And by the way, completely unfair for Ashley to be in an elimination, it to be a puzzle elimination, and for it to be about past seasons of of the challenge where Dee wasn't even there. And as she noted, they don't even get the show where she lives. So she was up against a wall. She should not have won that. Everything was going in Ashley's favor in that in that elimination. The fact that D won just proves how far ahead she was from Ashley. And Wes helping her did not allow her to win. She would have figured out the five-order combination eventually. Uh, now, moving on with this challenge stuff, I'm not sure I could stand living in a confined space or any space with Bear. Uh, in case you thought he was like young and immature and that's all it's about. No, he's 30 and immature. 
Uh, I tried to look stuff up on him to like figure out what the dude's all about. I guess he won Celebrity Big Brother in the UK. I also found out that there have been like 20 Celebrity Big Brothers in the UK. I am a massive Big Brother fan, but I only watch the United States versions for obvious reasons. A, it's tough to probably get the ones from England, but they also seem to always do big uh, celebrity editions of Big Brother. And a lot of the celebrities on there are just like reality stars that I don't care about at all. Not saying the celebrity US Big Brothers have A-list talent or anything, but at least they're people I know and I'm entertained by. But I can't believe he won an, a, a season of Big Brother that like people wanted to be in a house with him for 30 days. So I'd be curious to find out. Maybe I can look it up like, like a, a summary of the season. How the hell this guy went through and won Big Brother. But um, I get the entertainment value of him. I don't understand people defending him. And he's just annoying. I If you told me he was never on another challenge again, I'd be totally fine with it. I like people that create controversy. As Eric Bischoff says, controversy creates cash. But in this particular situation, I just have no desire to see Bear running around screaming every single time I put on MTV. Just not for me. Uh, Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He wonders who would be on my Mount Rushmore of challenge contestants uh, and what has been my favorite challenge season so far. So I don't really have an answer for favorite challenge season, but it would be recently. Um, in the last five years, I feel like there was an absolutely epic season and I would need to kind of look back on the winners and what they were called to remember it. Dirty 30 was really good. That was a damn good season, so maybe it's that one. But the challenge has really amped up its game over the last few years. I don't love the injection of, like, the Sex on the Beach people or some of the other stupid MTV reality shows, Are You the One? I, you know, I don't care about these people. Uh, granted, they're not really doing real worlds right now. I don't know why, by the way. I'm not sure why they stopped doing real, real worlds. Obviously, now during the coronavirus, they're not going to do it, but... They haven't done one in a couple of years, it feels like. So there's not new talent coming in from that. Certainly, it used to be the real world road rules challenge. Road rules hasn't existed in like 20 years. So they're not coming in from that. But they do have the Viacom CBS relationship. And if you notice this year, there's a lot of former Big Brother contestants being added. That is what I like. Big Brother is closer to the challenge than any of these other shows. So if they make this a Big Brother real world type of challenge, then I'm into it because that really makes sense to me. The characters on Big Brother are really good. And again, selfishly, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that show. So that works. But like, are you the one and Sex on the Beach and whatever the UK shows are called? Some of them are okay. Some of the additions are good. But I'd almost rather them just cast brand new people for the challenge as rookies and not bring them from some of these other stupid shows. Maybe one or two, if it makes sense. If they're really, you know, off the wall characters or really, really good competitors. But I don't need you just adding like eight people, including a, honestly a bunch of women in many cases who are unable to compete and don't even care. And they're just there to look pretty. So that kind of ruins the challenge for me and takes it down. I'd rather them actually cast the challenge and get athletic people who want to come in and compete. But to answer the question, uh, my Mount Rushmore for the challenge all time, CT, Johnny Bananas, Daryl, and then either Emily or Laurel, I would probably put Emily over Laurel just because Laurel's last few challenges have kind of knocked her average, to, you know, down all time. She hasn't really been that impressive. She made the huge mistake last year. That was an issue. I do think Jordan, by the way, is rocketing into contention 
for Mount Rushmore. It's still probably five years and at least one or two more wins off, but he's on his way up there. And Tori has a chance to be an all-timer as well. She's actually on her way to becoming my favorite all-time competitor because she's not a moron. She doesn't get over-emotional. And she's an absolute competition beast. So I'm a huge Tory fan. Um, the Miz, by the way, bringing this back to wrestling, he's top 10 all time in MTV Challenge history. He won both eliminations that he got put into. He went to four finals and he won two seasons. If he never went to WWE and he just did the challenge, he'd probably be CT Johnny Bananas level, maybe even number one all time by this point. That's how good The Miz was at the challenge. So... If you don't remember that, go to YouTube and like look, at, look up some clips of The Miz on the Challenge. He was awesome. Now, before we get out of here on this edition of Getting Over, there is one more AEW thing that I did not mention earlier. I saw Tony Khan uh, promote next week's show as the best empty arena wrestling show to date, quote-unquote, to say the least. And this is yet another time that Tony is promoting AEW with such exaggerated words and phrasing that I think they have nowhere to go but below um, his promise. Basically, he's almost like over-promising and under-delivering. And that hurts them. I think he said something about Double or Nothing or Revolution or one of their pay-per-views that he thought it was the greatest American pay-per-view of all time. It wasn't, whatever it was. He then said the Jake Hager and John Moxley AEW Championship match was the best empty arena match of all time. It wasn't the best empty arena match that week, let alone since the coronavirus started, let alone all time. So they under-delivered there. Now, next week's show of AEW, don't get me wrong, it does have both semifinal matches for the TNT tournament. Those could be really good. There is the unique, um, you know, Brody Lee-Marco stunt match. It could be really good, but I just don't think it's going to make a show the greatest ever. And then there's like a Jimmy Havoc match that's advertised, a tag team match. And okay, like I don't really care. So will the wrestling be good? There's a good chance, yeah. And the semifinal matches with Cody and Darby Allen, that's fantastic. I'm excited for that one in particular. But to come out here and ahead of the show, say it's, the, it's going to be the best empty arena show yet, to say the least, meaning he thinks it might even be better than that. Well, you have a long way to go when NXT has been putting on some damn good shows and candidly, Raw and SmackDown have been putting on some good empty arena shows. So I hope next week's episode of AEW lives up to Tony's billing. But if, if, if it was me, if I was promoting AEW, I would not go to that length. You don't need to get that extreme in your promotion. You can just say, guys, you need to tune in next week. It's going to be a sick show. You do not want to miss it. It's my favorite thing that we've done yet. That's it. That is the same level of promotion without exaggerating it and having people throw it in your face and say, yeah, that was a good show, but man, you really oversold that. So that's just my take on the entire situation. And I do appreciate you all listening to this solo edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Of course, you can follow me, The Silver King, on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. You can follow our show at Getting Overcast. Don't forget, head on over to Apple Podcasts for those five-star ratings and reviews. Um, and please share the show with your friends. If it's as simple as retweeting the show, go for it. Uh, but, you know, send a text message. Drop the link in on Facebook. Do something to promote the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I would 
greatly appreciated. So thank you all for joining me. Uh, we will be back Tuesday with another WWE edition of Getting Over, and I'm going to leave you with those three beautiful words. Bye for now.